right, so if you uh, looked at your outline, coming in briefly, we're going to talk about 1 John 4, 7 through 21 this evening. And if you uh, have a heading in your Bible, when I open my Bible, the heading that I see there for that passage is God is love. God is love. It kind of sums up the entirety of that passage. But tonight I'm going to break it into two separate passages, and we're going to study them kind of as a separate entity. The first one there on your outline is love made visible. Love made visible. That's 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And then the second one is love's accomplishments. So we'll get to that one in just a moment. So this subject of love is familiar to everyone, but it's also, I think, the most misrepresented and the and uh, the most overused word in, the, in the, not only the English language, but other languages as well. I mean, if you think about it and think about how people talk, you know, they say things like, well, I love blue blood ice cream. I just love it. I, I love my dog. I love my cat. Uh, you know, I really like that new shiny car. It's really nice. And of course, Jeff would say, I love U of H. And, uh, of course, I would say I love disc golf, even before I ripped open my shoulder. But <laughs> So I thought it interesting in your outline there, I saw a uh, survey that uh, I found about what people love or what people think is important in life. And I thought it was interesting because of these categories, it uh, is kind of skewed in the way I would have rated this, but this is an actual... U.S. of A survey that was given to Americans. So it says, what do people love most in life? 92% love children. You know, I love children as well, but uh, I found that a little disheartening when God was second at 86%. 75% love the USA, 66% love animals, 33% love themselves, <laughs> and 20% love their enemies. Now, hold on to that one because we're going to come back to that one. That's kind of a key one this evening as we open up the box and unpack some of these things regarding love. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christian faith has always emphasized preeminently two very important concepts, truth and love. If you look in scripture, it also references truth and grace. Grace and love are very similar, but distinctly different. So truth and love are preeminently two very important concepts. I even go further than this in your outline there that says Jesus was both of these in perfect Balance. In other words, truth and love is a person. It's not a concept. And I think we oftentimes uh, get in the habit of thinking that, that I, if I just had a better understanding of truth and love, I would love better. When in fact, Scripture teaches us that the ultimate truth and love is the person of Jesus Christ. And without him, we're going to be woefully deficient in that area. 
I love that talking about uh, Paul in the book of Ephesians, talking about the life of Christ, the new life we have in him. And he talks about this in Ephesians 4.15. The Christian experience is to be truthing in love, truthing in love, or speaking the truth in love, which that verse says, and other verses support this in walking or living out the truth in love. And it goes along with many, many verses that tell us to be walking by faith and not by sight. Walking by the Spirit and not by flesh. And so this concept is an underlying concept that we need to have something working in us that innately is not in us. And so I'll get into that a little bit more here in a moment. We often see people, and especially in the church, that will place one of these concepts over another. In other words, if you place love more important than truth, if you become a libertarian. You're pretty much open to anything and everything that, that someone does without any boundaries on it. And if you place truth in front of love, You become a legalist. You become a legalist, and you have rules and regulations. And you've met many of these kinds of Christians, or even many kinds of people like this. That well, you haven't done it this way, so you're deficient in this area. And they're very cold and hard-hearted and uneasy to get along with. So we want to emulate what Paul talked about in Ephesians 4:15, and be a representative of Jesus Christ because he lives in you in working out our salvation and truthing in love, speaking the truth in love and walking out the truth in love. So I love how this passage starts out. It says God is love. God is love. And I put there love one another. That one concept or that one phrase, love one another, is stressed three times. Once in verse 7, once in verse 11, and once in verse 12. It's an emphasis that John is talking about here, placing the love in action of loving one another. Beloved, beloved let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifest in us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. So if we're unpacking this concept of Truth and love, where is love's origin? It's in God. It's in God. It's his very character. It's his very nature. And I think oftentimes we look at God as a big Santa Claus or some other kind of figure that if we get close enough to him and we do the right things, he'll take care of us and, and reward us for that. When in fact, love is his very character of nature. I love this quote that I'm going to tell you from John R. W. Stott. He says, this is the most comprehensive 
and sublime of all biblical affirmations of God's being. It means that at the root of all God does is love. No matter how difficult it may appear to us, the fountain from which all God's activity stems is this kind of self-giving love. Even the judgments and condemnations arrive from love, and we need to understand this concept. So whether we think that God is operating fairly or justly or uh, the circumstances we have in life and certainly in the area of health and sickness and all that kind of thing, when we have a tendency to question God, he's operating always from this character, basic quality of love. And it's important for us to alter our mindset and get on board with him rather than asking questions of why things happen the way they do. So it's an action item as well. It said, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who is born of God and knows God, the one who does not know, does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. So hopefully this verse, this just this one verse, communicates to you that this kind of love is deficient of me and you. I don't have this kind of love, and neither do you. It's something that comes from God. And how do we have God? Through belief in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? And unless we're born again, and unless we have something we don't have, we're never going to ever display what John is describing here in this verse. We're never going to be able to love people in a fashion that God wants them loved by. And that's what uh, it, it spoke to me as I was studying for this passage, is sometimes we manufacture an imitation of his love. We manufacture what we think love looks like, or what we think that if I was God, how I would love that person. But this kind of love, if you look at it from its purity standpoint, is one that loves everyone because they're human. Now, tell me that's not a probable problem area for me or you in that area. People who are not nice to us, people who are nasty to us, people who you just don't want to be around, people that rub you the wrong way, in our own flesh and strength, we're not going to love them. And even if we are in Christ, sometimes we forget who we are and who indwells us to be able to love them. As this verse says, love one another. It doesn't say whether they're love one another if you're nice, love one another if you treat me the right way and I get something in return for loving you. It says love one another. That's simply what it says. Because God is love. And where does God reside? He resides in us, in our heart, in this vessel. <coughs> 
So how do we know that God is love? How do we know that God is love? Well, if you look at all the accounts, including the Old Testament of creation, and you can go through how God created the universe, he created man, he created woman, he created the animals, it reveals his power, it reveals intelligence, it reveals his greatness, it reveals his might, all of those attributes of God that we know so well, scripture references. There's one that's missing though. How do we know what God's love looks like if we didn't have his son? If he hadn't sent his son, how would we know what God's love looks like? Because all of scripture does not indicate that except in the arrival of Jesus Christ and why that was. And so that's an important aspect. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you get that? Not that we loved him. We didn't reach out to him. I should have. I never reached out to him. He hunted me down with his love and captured me. Amen. I'm so grateful for that. But that he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved us that much. So talk about somebody who's nasty and hard to get along with and rebellious and and just, you know, why would you deal with them? That's most of us. In fact, that's all of us without him. Because we show up here in a fallen world. So he went to great lengths because love is his character, his base root character to hunt us down by giving us his son. Recall that uh, when Jesus was with Peter and Jesus was asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter answered and said, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus asked him again, Peter, no, do you love me? And Peter answers again what he thought was the right answer. And Jesus keeps asking until he gets, if you study that passage to the Greek word agape. Peter, do you agape love me? <coughs> And then he answers correct, finally. We have a tendency to do that as well as, is, you know, yes, Lord, I love you. I love you as long as uh, this situation works out and I have my help and I have all these other things. Of course I love you. But no, that's not the love that represents him, let alone the love that he has instilled in you and I because we're a believer in Jesus Christ. And so I thought that was interesting that only the arrival of his son tells us that we can know God's love. Now, is he like a, a grandpa? Most of us have grandchildren, and I do, but is he like a grandpa that's an endearing grandfather that just gives the grandchildren whatever they want? 
with no conditions to it? No. No, he's a God of justice as well. And so he always has his hand of justice coupled with the hand of love. And it's always for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. The fact of an indwelling God becomes visible only when we love one another. Let that sink in a little bit. The fact of an indwelling God becomes visible only when we love one another. As we all know, God is invisible. Jesus is invisible. He's alive. He's very much alive. But how will people know of him unless they see it in you and I? And that's why he becomes visible only when we love one another. And again, it's loving people because he created them, not because of their behavior or because of their race or because of their political affiliation. We have a number of other things of the labels we put on people of why we can either love them or like them or reject them totally. And that's not what God is talking about here. He's talking about love one another. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, the coupling between our relationship with him because of Jesus and the ability to pull off this love. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This one verse discounts all the excuses we have of why we can't love someone. And we come up with a number of them. And we, I just listed, there's all kinds of labels we put on people. And simply, I can say, I, I, just, don't, I just don't like that person. I don't want to love them. I can't love them. Well, that's just not a true statement. In fact, Paul was in this same situation where he talks about in Romans 1.14 that we owe it. Because Christ is in us, we owe it to him and to others to love. It's a responsibility because we have the indwelling of his spirit. We have the indwelling of his life. And where the life of God is, you will find the love of God. That's what John keeps emphasizing over and over and over in this passage, that where the life of God is will be followed by his love. And where's the life of God in the church age? It's you and I. It's you and I. Because we have a living relationship with the living Lord. And so our excuses don't hold water when you say, well, this person is just not lovable. I can't stand them. I, I don't like them. Well, it doesn't matter if you like them. You're commanded to love them. And you have the ability to do that because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. 
I put there many are acquainted with the Gospels of Matthew, Luke, or John, but are they acquainted with the Gospel according to you and your love for one another? I kind of convicted myself when I wrote that. I kind of convicted myself when I wrote that. Because that is how people are seeing the unseen God. They're seeing an unseen God that we talk about knowing and having a personal relationship by the visible deeds and conduct of loving one another. Of loving one another. I'll talk a little bit more about that perfecting that love in us. But perfecting is, again, a work by the Lord himself, not us working at it to be better at it. If we have his love already indwelling us and we yield to the Spirit in the situations where that love can flow from us because it's his love, God is on the hook to perfect that because it's his love. And he does exactly that. He does exactly that. As we show more yielding to him and he shows more love to people through you and I, he perfects that love into something that is glorifying to him and ultimately displays an invisible God to people. So let's turn the corner. That was love made visible. Love made visible. Seeing an invisible God through loving one another. Now let's turn the second part of this passage into love's accomplishments. Love's accomplishments. We'll talk a little bit more about the indwelling of the life in us and where that leads us. I put there our belief and faith produces love. Our belief and faith produces love. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know that we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, it kind of goes around and around in that passage, but I love those words that John uses because it's uh, similar to another passage I brought to you in John 15, abiding in the vine, abiding in vine Jesus. Well, this is abiding in God's love because it's not something that we manufacture. It's not something we have. But he's clearly confessing here that if we know Jesus as the Son of God, God abides in you and I. Now, if you recall, Pastor Jeff started out chapter 4 with uh, verse 4-1 that said, test the spirits, test the spirits. Not all that you hear spiritually is going to be fact and true. And so based on what John was warning us about, 
this is a confirmation that we can test the spirits and someone or something that does not confess Jesus as the Son of God, we can we can go through and and make argument that that person is not in the fold. Now we're not to do that, but I just tell you that we test the spirits, and John is saying here that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God and God abides in Him, and He in God. We have confidence in and that again that without the life without the life there's without the love so if someone's confessing a different belief system that doesn't lead to life and certainly doesn't lead to love I love that Romans 5 5 verse it says the living hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like uh, our salvation experience when we came to Christ and we were so alive and we we're so excited about our new conversion. We tell people about it and we, uh, we're just overcome with life. And this should be how it is with this subject of love because we've been overcome with his life, real life. And where there's the life, there's love. And so we should be able to love one another like no one else on this planet because we have his life and his love. We just have to yield to it and be ambassadors for it. When I gave that uh, passage once before about John 15, about the vine and the branches, Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. And he who bears good fruit is the one grafted to me. Without being grafted to me, you can produce nothing. Not some good things or things that look good. And I went through an illustration with Scott over here about fruit. I had some plastic fruit and showed him and didn't think much of that, but he did like the other fruit. So that was the fruit grafted to Jesus. And this is the same concept that John is talking about in this passage, that in order to manifest God's love, we have to be abiding. We have to be abiding in him. And what does abiding mean? I heard from Tony Evans one time and says, Hanging out with. We hang out with Jesus. You think about him all the time during the day. You, you pray. You are recalling scripture that you know. You're using it in the context of people that are he's placing in your life. And as you do that and abide in him, he's going to outpour his love to one another from the love that already resides in you. We have confidence because God's love in us will be perfected by God himself. I love that. I love that. That means I don't have to work at this. I need to be a good vessel, and I need to yield to what's been given me. And I need to yield to the power that's already residing in me. And as I do that and abide in him, he does the perfecting. 
So what does that mean? It says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he is, so also are we in the world. So it's a powerful verse. When you first look at it, you kind of just gloss over it. But it's talking about God's love being perfected in us because that is his desire to show a lost and dying world that he is real. And the way to do that is the visibility of his love through believers and showing that that love is a tangible, visible entity. It's the activity of himself. It's love perfected and made visible in deeds and word. As you recall, 318 talked about that we're to live in deed and truth and no imitations of what we're trying to produce, but that we're to produce what comes from him by an internal change that he has provided in your heart and sealed by the Holy Spirit. As Christ is now invisible but alive, we are in this world visible with Christ living through us. The only God that people may see is you. And that, when you think about it, is a heavy responsibility, but it's not. It's an abiding responsibility. It's an abiding in who we are. We've been changed. We have life. We have his love. We have a multitude of other attributes that Galatians talks about, the fruit of the Spirit. So if we're just abiding in that and we're yielding to him, working his life through us, you will be a visible example of him. That's what God desires, and that He's perfecting to perfection in you and I. What I was going to say, we always call it Jesus with skin on. That's right. Thank you, Hal. Thank you. <laughs> so, what can uh, get in the way of this? I said, don't keep this love bottled up, or His love bottled up. Don't keep this love bottled up. Well, there's the one word fear, fear. And we've all experienced this when God puts us in a situation where we know the word, we know the truth, we know his love, we know his life. And yet, because of the circumstance, and because of our flesh, we are fearful about sharing that with someone. You know, if I do this, and I share how I love them, that just opens me more up to more abuse. And so we can come to that point in some circumstances where the fear overrides who we are and what we have. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. There, that word punishment is, is not a real good word in that translation. It, it really should read, fear has 
a limit or a restraining power. It restrains us from being able to freely operate from who we are. And so that was what John was trying to communicate here, that if we tap into the full extent and the knowledge of the love that he has given us, it will dissipate the fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. I like what uh, I like what the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, chapter three, regarding God's desire for us and this concept of His love. Paul says, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man or woman, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. He runs out of dimensions. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Then he goes on to say, now to him who's able to work in us, by a power that is far greater than we have. So if we realize that the concept of God's love starts with you and starts with me about how much God loves us, he sent his son to die for us, he indwells us with the very life of Christ and seals us by the Holy Spirit. We should not fear spreading this kind of love because we know who we belong to. And Jesus certainly is with us every step of the way. So we Love one another by expressing it, by deeds and work, expressing the love of Christ that's already in us. So the last warning that John gives us, don't be deceived, don't be self-deceived, because where does this love come from? We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, or he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. It could be summed up again, love one another. Love one another. Trusting him, walking in the spirit, I wanted to close with Ephesians 5.2 this evening. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you 
and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice and a fragrant aroma. So I'd ask you tonight, as you go out this week, are we a fragrant aroma to folks? <laughs> and that's not perfume and deodorant. <laughs> I put there, love one another, because it is not that we cannot love, it's we choose not to. And that's a tragedy, because it's not living who we are, it's not living from who indwells you, it's not glorifying him who's perfecting every moment of love in you this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage. And the concept that John Davis, Father, that uh, we don't have this kind of love. We never did. But love comes from you because of your, your coming to us. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you came not only to save us, but to give us life and to make your love and your existence reality to a lost and dying world. Father, give us courage this week to love this kind of love, love one another, love people that are unlovable, and Father, love people that just rub us the wrong way. Just as we abide in you, give us the power to do that. Give us the strength and the stamina to keep after and persevere in this area. Lord, I thank you for these saints gathered this evening that you're perfecting your love in, and that uh, even this week, some of the world will see a real and living God in them. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We pray that uh, your glory would be revealed this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.